Well, welcome to Sunday nights. Glad to know everyone's happy to see each other, greeting each other. I want to welcome up somebody. I'm really actually excited that we caught him. It just worked out that he could be here tonight and the timing was perfect. Um, so I want to welcome up Lucan Smith. Lucan, come on up. Yeah. All right, I'm going to give it over to you. It's all yours, yeah. Well, my name is Lucan Smith. I'm 22. Um, I was born here in Orange. I'm right here in Chalk Hospital. Um, to start off my testimony, um, when my mom was in labor, my dad was out partying. He was on a three-day drinking and drug binge or whatever he was doing. Um, he had uh, many addictions, mainly uh, sleeping pills and painkillers was his, his main thing that he liked to do. Um, that being said, we had two businesses, one delivering water and um, pool cleaning business, which my mom had to pretty much do most of it because my dad was either sleeping or high on something. And uh, they put me in a Christian school as I was growing up till about sixth grade. Um, my dad's father, uh, um, father's substance abuse started to grow further with more of the narcotic side and uh, about fifth grade, I would want to say. Um, when, we, when I was in fifth grade, um, for my mom's birthday, my dad decided that he was going to take us to Tijuana and buy a bunch of stuff for my mom for gifts and spend the day with us. And uh, also while I was there, he went and bought a, about 100 Vicodin for himself. And uh, when, we got, when we got home, he took 30 at one dosage. And many people would um, surely would, would die, but he actually just went, fell into deep sleep for about three days. Just like never, not, didn't even uh, budge. I remember when I was a kid, uh, before school, trying to wake him up to say bye to him and uh, kind of just go on with my day. And I wasn't used to not seeing him in the morning, and he was just sleeping. Um, I remember my, when he actually woke up and came to, he was withdrawing really heavily, and he needed more pills. And my mom already flushed him, and uh, she was really scared, and he was shaking, and he was just begging my mom for more pills, and uh, she. They kind of just went through the day, and he actually mellowed down a little bit, but it was more of a scheme to, he gave her $100 to go and get her nails done and her hair did, and um, uh, as she went, because he promised that they're going to do something nice that night, and as she went, he went to his office, and he kind of wrote us, me and my mom, a little letter, and uh, shortly after that, he went into his room, and uh, he took his, his gun underneath his pillow, and he, he shot himself. Um, he, my mom came home and saw him like this and continued to try to do CPR and call 911, do whatever she could to resuscitate him, but nothing was working. And uh, the trauma after this incident made my mom a very heavy alcoholic. She couldn't cope with the pain. She uh, just kind of went off the deep end, and uh, she, uh, we, we pretty much ended up losing both businesses because she couldn't do it all on her own. We had to get various roommates to help with the mortgage. One of them, just by chance, happened to be a cocaine dealer. And uh, he would actually supply her with, with this, these drugs. And many times as a kid, I was about 10 years old, watching, walking into her and seeing her doing lines of cocaine and seeing always drunk, falling down, going to the hospital, me, myself, calling the paramedics and explaining to them what happened. 
Um, eventually, we did lose the house. Um, we had to move into a small apartment in Santa Ana, and uh, that where her alcoholism just got worse and worse. Um, she just I'd be calling the paramedics almost weekly, either 5150, and um, almost found it as a vacation when she went away because she was always screaming, yelling at me, take out the trash when I did it hours ago, just anything she could yell at me, she would be yelling at me. And uh, she would always be threatening to commit suicide and be taking pills, take her in to get her stomach pumped and stuff. It was almost a, a routinely thing where, where I'd have to see this and deal with this. Um, but at the, at the same time, at the local liquor store where, uh, where she would buy her alcohol, there was a manager there named Wayne, and he always would see uh, my mom coming in there and me, and he always was wondering about me and where my dad was and what, what the situation is. And he kind of just kept, he talked to me more and more, and uh, eventually I actually ended up working there helping uh, mop up the place and stock the shelves and stuff like that. And he almost, he pretty much took me under his wing. I mean, he fed me, he actually, he clothed me, he gave me shelter when I needed it. I mean, if I needed an escape from my, my mom was getting crazy, he would let me come spend the night at his house. And um, I remember one night my mom was so drunk, she signed the title over a truck to me, just because <laughs> she said, just in case something happened. And I remember 14 years old, joyriding, and her in the back drunk and just driving around, and I learned to drive that way. <laughs> <laughs> and when I was 16, I bought my first BMX bike. I put on layaway and finally paid it off. And uh, I remember meeting some friends and started BMXing. And uh, we ended up at a church skate park called Pyrophobia. And um, there, there's this guy named Adrian Harris where he, uh, he would stop the BMX session in the middle of the, the session. And he would actually preach the gospel and do a Bible study in the middle of the session. And hearing this actually brought me um, back to when I was in Christian school, and I remember all these stories he was telling me, and pretty much what Jesus was said. I was remembering these things, and I kind of he put stuff in pers uh, perspective, like how Jesus works, and, and really, it really changed my life. And that's when I decided to give my life to the Lord. When I was 16 years old, and how everything kind of makes sense now, and that's who I am today. Um, I moved out the day I turned 18. I moved in with Wayne, the manager of the liquor store, and uh, he, was, uh, he was a Christian as well. And uh, he would teach me, and we'd do Bible studies day in, day out. He would always be teaching me and teaching me and showing me and taking me to harvest and stuff like that. And um, my mom had to move in with uh, her sister because she couldn't pay for even the apartment anymore. Um, then again, my, my relationship got, grew and got better with my mom that I wasn't living with her. And uh, everything was just kind of was just going up and up for me. And uh, before my 21st birthday, my mom was called me up and asked me to take her to the hospital. And uh, for this time, it was different. She was sober. And she, her symptoms were a little weird. So I took her in. I went down. I live in Norco now. I went down in uh, Anaheim Hills to take her to the hospital and uh, she was in there and she was doing okay for about a week they kept her and then all of a sudden things just started going down here. Her liver was shutting down, many organs were shutting down and to the point where she was incoherent, they were pumping her full of drugs and stuff like that and uh, trying to just stabilize everything and uh, 
My whole family went and visited her. I was working at the time, and they said that she was completely incoherent. Her eyes were rolling back in her head. She couldn't talk to anybody or nothing like that. And uh, I remember very vaguely when I got off work, I was tired. It was about 7 at night, and so, something was just telling me to go down there and talk to her and pray with her. I mean, it might be the last time. So I rushed down there, and uh, I remember just just praying the whole way there, like, what, what is this calling? What are you telling me? What is going on? And uh, I remember when we were, I was in there just seeing her in that state. She still was the same, incoherent. And uh, I remember just kneeling down next to her and being like, Mom, well, well, today will you actually accept Jesus Christ in your life? And um, she she was unable to answer me, and I was just talking to her, and I was just like, just if you would just please repeat this prayer after me. And uh, as crazy it was, as we started talking, she was repeating this prayer word by word, with no no mistakes or anything. And it was just it was a lovely experience seeing that happen. And um, as we were finished, she just kind of went to sleep and. She wasn't. Uh, she was just sleeping heavily because all the drugs she was on. And um, I remember it was three in, three a.m. now, and it's just my twenty-first birthday. Um, I got a phone call from my aunt that she's now in critical care unit. Her liver is just completely shut down, and now there's just machines keeping her alive, breathing and tubes everywhere. And uh, I remember going in there and just seeing her like that, and those machines keeping her alive was just one of the most painful things I've seen and just the suffering in her I saw and I remember uh, uh, we we kind of just were there all day and we and the doctor kind of gave me the ultimatum of either pull the plug or I don't I can't really keep her alive much longer she doesn't it's not in a situation where she can and I was just like you know what <clears throat> just let God's will be done if unplug her I mean worst come the worst she's going to go home with the Lord I know where she's going and she, if, if it's God's will to keep her here, she'll, she'll recover. And about six hours later, we're at dinner, and we got a phone call that she passed. And uh, I almost felt relieved in a way because I know that she's no, no more suffering for her and no more pain, and I know where she is, and I'll know where I'll see her again. But uh, pretty much to sum it all up, kind of put in a pers- uh, spectrum that through my dad's death, it made two believers. Um, Although there's many trials, um, there's still the right path you could go down. Um, No matter how much wrong there is around the world, God always gives you a way out. And he never gives you more than you can handle. And that's a promise in his word. You need to turn to him and give him your all. For life is only a glimpse of what is in heaven. And my favorite verse that kind of describes and puts light on my whole situation is... um, James 1-2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave in the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Um, That's Pretty much sums up my testimony, and thanks for letting me share. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life when you've been terrified, actually scared that this could be it, this could be the end. I've had a couple of those times in my life. More often than not, those were self-imposed times, and they weren't due to any type of drug overdose. or It was me doing something I probably shouldn't have been doing, either off-roading, 
climbing or just something that is like, yeah, okay, I think I pushed the limits this time. Um, but uh, when I was in Brazil, I was uh, down there working with a friend of mine in a uh, park ministry. We were in this little town called Campos, and it's about five hours north of Rio de Janeiro. And Brazil is a unique place, and one of the things that makes it so unique is the police are really corrupt in Brazil. They're, they're terribly corrupt, and, and they have prisons for police in Brazil because they have a tendency to go vigilante on people. And we were driving around one day, uh, my friend and uh, a Brazilian friend of ours, we were driving through a neighborhood, and all of a sudden, all of these police Ford Explorers came and they surrounded us. It was, it was like five Ford Explorers. It, it was a lot. It might have been six. Anyway, these cars surround our car and stop us. Like, we come to a halt and we're like, what's going on? They all jump out of the cars, guns focused on us, trained on us. All the, and there were all these M16s and, and handguns, and it was just like, what? <laughs> and, it was, and it was just kind of like, put up your hands, because these guys are they're crazy Brazilian police. And so they're just yelling at us in Portuguese, and, and I, know, I know one saying in Portuguese, eu não falo português, I don't speak Portuguese. Um, and so I'm trying to get my friend to translate their Portuguese into broken Spanish English to me, so because he's a Chilean. And so I can understand what's actually happening. And they're just yelling at us, all these guns trained on us. And what I found out later on was a police officer was kidnapped, and they thought we were the ones who kidnapped this police officer. It's crazy. I don't, I don't even understand how they thought we were the ones. But anyway, they pull us out of the car, and, you know, they're like, they're just anxious looking. And, and um, so I'm, I'm scared. I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, this could be it. Um, so I want to unbuckle myself, and, and normally in foreign countries you don't, you know, buckle in, but I, for some reason I was. So I'm like, I've got to unbuckle, <laughs> I'm trying to go as slow as possible, slowly getting out of the car. They're yelling at us, they throw us up against the car, they start searching us, all of us. And um, now I know what you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, being a kung fu master like myself... Why would I be scared? Of course, I'm not a kung fu master. But I was, I was actually like, oh, man, this could be it. I could be off to Brazilian jail or dead. And uh, they tore apart the, apart the car. They pulled out the back seat. They pulled out everything in the trunk. They pulled out parts of the engine. Then, <laughs> then they wanted my passport and my money. And I was like, okay, no, you can't have that. And it, like, it was really weird because as soon as they asked for my passport and my money, I, I just got really bold. I'm like, no. And they're like, what, what? And they're pointing the gun at me. I'm like, no, you can't have this. And then they tried to take my friend's laptop. And he's like, no, you can't have this. And they're like pointing the guns at us. And, and finally they just go and get in their cars and drive off. And we were like, what in the world just happened? The car's all in pieces and we got to put it back together. And we have no explanation for why all this happened. I remember writing home to my wife that night uh, through email because I, I couldn't call home. And I was like, honey, I've never, I've never had that many guns pointed at me at one time. She responded back with, you've never had any guns pointed at you. <laughs> but there are times in our lives when we get scared, terrified. Those times when we like think maybe this could be the end. And, and tonight, uh, as we look in Mark's account of the gospel, we're going to see that the disciples are in a place where Jesus is starting to build their faith. Jesus is beginning more and more to reveal himself to the disciples. 
And um, that's where we're picking up in Mark 35. Now, we make the assumption, Mark 4, verse 35, we make the assumption that, that the apostles and the disciples, they just understood all the time who Jesus was. And that's not the case. You're going to see that they, they don't fully understand who Jesus is. They know Jesus is a miracle worker. They know he can do some amazing things. They know he teaches with authority. But they don't understand who he is. They're following him, but they're not truly yet committed to him. And so uh, verse 35, on that day when evening had come. Now remember, he just finished teaching in parables all day long. So that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And so we're on the Sea of Galilee. The sea of Galilee is about seven miles wide, eight, seven, eight miles wide. And he said, let's go to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We're going to start seeing the disciples asking this question often. Who is this guy? Who is Jesus? Although they're following him, we're going to see they ask this question a couple times. And Jesus keeps posing this question to them. Have you no faith? And we tend to look at this and think like, oh man, he's kind of like harsh on them. They thought they were going to die. Have you no faith? And what he's really asking them is, are you ready to follow yet? Are you ready to trust in me? But let me just set the scenario here. The Sea of Galilee, it's, it's, it's a, a big lake, a giant lake. And the winds can come off that mountain and stir it up. And, I mean, they get full-on waves in the Sea of Galilee. But we're not dealing with just new people to the Sea of Galilee. We're dealing with fishermen, fishermen who are used to being out in rough water. I don't know if you've ever seen that, uh, that fishing show on Discovery, Deadliest Catch. But, you know, of course, the way they build it up, every episode someone's going to die. And so you've got to watch the next episode. Oh, nobody died. They just ate ate bad crab or whatever. Um, <laughs> but you see these guys out there working in storms and whatnot, and they're just like, okay, they're just doing their job, but they keep going back out. So the disciples, they were used to working in storms. They were used to being out there. They were used to being out there at night. They were used to winds picking up. But something about this storm that night had them freaking out. They were scared to death. They thought that this was it. Surely we're going to die. Notice the text tells us that the waves were breaking into the boat. The, the boat was filling up with water. I'm sure they were bailing and trying to get rid of this water, but, but to no avail. They were going to sink, and they knew they were going to sink. And they look over, and they see Jesus asleep in the stern. Meanwhile, they're panicking. You know, sometimes when, we're, when our lives are crashing in on us, when the storm is raging, and we see somebody else at peace, we can be like, how is that fair? How, how is it that they can sleep during this time? So, the, so they go and get him. Do you, don't you care? That's the, that's the question to Jesus. Don't you care? Well, you know what? I'll tell you right now. God does care. And if God is going to tell you to go across the sea, 
you're not going to sink. If Jesus tells you, go across to the other side, you're not going to sink. Know that right away. That I'm not going to sink. I need to go. But there may be trials. There may be, th- there may be things that come up, waves that come up, a storm that brews, wind that is too harsh. But if Jesus told me to go, I will go and know that I'm not going to sink because he told me to go. And so they wake Jesus up, and he simply wakes up and says, peace, be still. Or, or in, in a sense, it would be like, be silent. <laughs> this is so strange. He's asleep peacefully, not stressed at all. They wake him up. They're freaking out. He just gets up, says a couple words, and calm. Man, what an awesome, powerful person that can calm our storms. Jesus can give us peace in the midst of our storms. But the thing is, is we can't be freaking out. We've got to turn to him. We've got to trust in him. And as we seek him, peace happens upon us. It's amazing how God works this. And we're going to see that this is followed up by another story um, to to, uh, (laughs) complicate things or to add to this night. So he asks this question, have you no faith? And they ask the question, who is this guy? So they come to the other side, Mark 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus has stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when, Jesus saw, uh, when, he, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Well, let me just stop there for a moment. Okay, so you're in the midst of a storm. You think you're going to die. Jesus stands up, says, be still. Everything calms down. Like, whoa, that was crazy. Have you no faith? You get off the boat. You start walking towards the garrisons. You're in a graveyard. There's all these tombs. A, a naked man comes running out of the graveyard who's demon-possessed. This is creepy. This is creepy stuff. This, is, this, is, this would be a great, um, you know, Halloween-type message, I guess. Now, let me just talk about demon possession for one, one minute. Notice that not every person who's a sinner is demon-possessed. Not every pagan is demon-possessed. Not, not every uh, Gentile is demon-possessed. Not every Jewish sinner is demon-possessed. And, and I don't think that that's the formula that, okay, if you're, if you're not in Jesus, that means you're demon-possessed. Not at all. But we do see that there are people that are demon-possessed, or, or let, let me put it this way, have demonic influence, but the level of that influence in their lives, we're not sure about. Here, this man is completely under the influence of these demons. He, he is driven out of the towns. He's living in a tomb away from everybody. He's naked. His dignity is taken from him. He's chained up at times. They try to bind him, but they can't be, he can't be bound. Amazing how the devil's goal is to rob you of who, how you being created in the image of God. 
That's what the devil's goal is. He wants to get you so involved in sinful living, sinful behavior, that he robs you of the image of God. That he's created you in God's image. To do what? To honor God. To worship God. We ask these questions. Well, what's the point of life? What's the purpose? And, uh, well, the purpose is to make money. The purpose is to, to live a good life. Well, what's a good life? Well, you know, a good life, a happy life. Well, what's a happy life? Well, a happy life is, and, and when you start to ask these questions, these ultimate questions of life, why am I here? Why do I exist? What is the purpose? Some people say, well, it's love. But then for some reason, marriages don't work. People have affairs. So clearly the purpose of life wasn't love. Well, it's to make money. Money gets lost. We make lots of money. We can accrue lots of wealth, and then it's gone. Oh, but of course, maybe you're able to keep your money. Maybe you're one of the few that holds on to your money, and then you die, and your money is gone. So that clearly can't be the purpose in life. There's got to be more to life, and being created in God's image is one of the keys to the answer to that question, and that's that you were created to worship your creator. That's what you were created to do. And you will never find peace, joy, happiness, purpose until you get that part right first. As long as you are doing everything contrary to knowing God and having relationship with God, you will find yourself striving. Just striving, rowing, rowing up a river, just working on all your might, but never truly being satisfied because you are an enemy of God. It's not until you make peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ that you're now reconciled to God and no longer an enemy but a child. This man bound, living among the tombs, out of his mind, no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Amazing how tormented this man is. You know, that's the thing about sin. And, and I don't think anybody in this room, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe someone's demon possessed, but I don't think they are. I don't think most of us deal with demon possession so much as we do with sin. And, and we, we're delusional because somehow we think that the more we reject God or the more we go after our own sin or the more we desire after our stuff that is sinful, we're going to find happiness. And that's the further, further, furthest thing from the truth. In actuality, we find chains, we find bondage, and we find torment in sinful living. That's the only way it ends. Broad is the road to destruction, narrow is the road to salvation and life. Broad is that road. Man, that road looks easy and it even seems right to a man, but it's the furthest thing from truth and the real right way to go. And so this man is cutting himself out there, marring his image, the image that he's been created in. And there he sees Jesus from afar, and it says he ran and fell down to him. This is an interesting passage. Now Matthew lets us know that there was actually two demon-possessed men. This isn't a contradiction. Just Mark and Luke focus on the one guy, because it seems to be the, the most memorable guy to them. Matthew lets us know that there was actually two guys. But this one man, and that's what we'll talk about for now, because he's the one that Mark focuses on. This one man comes to him. Running out to Jesus. Now, it's interesting. When we look at demon possession or demon, demonic influence in the scriptures, demons don't attack people. 
Uh, well, sorry, they attack people if they're provoked, but they don't usually go after people. They go after tormenting the victim. They love to torment victims. De- demons just love to make a victim's pain worse and, and just continue doing it until the day of constr- uh, destruction. It, it's interesting because the times in which we do have a demonic person attacking someone, it's because they're provoked. They, in, the, in the book of Acts, we read about these, these uh, seven sons of Sceva. It tells us about these guys who were going around trying to cast out demons, uh, make some profit off of it. And they weren't, they weren't doing it in Jesus' name. They actually came and said, in the name of, of Paul, we, we, we cast out this demon. It, it, and the demons basically respond like, hey, we know Paul. We know Jesus, but we don't know you. And they beat the tar out of these guys. Um, and, and so demons, demon, uh, demons are, when demons are provoked, they act out. But this is interesting. This man comes running out to Jesus, kneeling down. And I wonder if this isn't necessarily the demon running out to Jesus, but the man tormented inside, running, fighting against us, running out to meet Jesus, kneeling down. And then the demons speak. I, 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 I'm kind of thinking that this would be, because, I, I mean, I would assume that if you're a demon, you just kind of stay in hiding if you know that your end could be coming, if you see the Son of God coming. And you know that this could be the end of you. I think you'd probably just stay in hiding. I don't know. But I'm tempted to think that this man who's tormented is trying to get free of his torment. He's trying to be set free. And he comes running out to Jesus and he falls down. Now remember the disciples are like, whoa, what is this? They're, they're onlookers. And notice what he says. He says, crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God not to torment me. <laughs> this is an interesting statement because it's almost like, what, why are you mindful of me? What, what makes you think that I matter? What, why do you want anything to do with me? Who are you to me? Who am I to you? And then, then the begging not to send him into torment or into... And Luke talks about later on about them asking not to be sent into the abyss, the abuso. Um, the, 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 the time's not ready. Don't send us into torment yet. It's, it's such a weird thing. And it's weird even that the demons ask by the name of God not to be sent into torment. It's a weird, weird scenario. But I think that the, the idea is sometimes when we're in sin, when we're captivated by sin, we may have to think, what has Jesus got to do with me? Why is Jesus even important? What do, why do I care about Jesus and why does he care about me? And I'll tell you why. Because he's your creator. And he loves you and he died for you. He, he went to a cross on your behalf so that you don't have to. What has Jesus got to do with you? Well, he lived a righteous life in which you couldn't live. He did what you weren't able to do. And he's paid the price for you and for you to now go, go to be before God and say, you know what, I don't want what Jesus did for me. I want to do it for myself. Well, that's not a good, good way to go. Jesus did it for you. That's what Jesus got to, has to do with you. And so this man uh, recognizes who Jesus is. And notice what Jesus says, verse 8, for he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So, so Mark kind of gives us a little interlude there. Verse 9, and Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Wow. This man is tormented 
It's not just one demon. It's a legion. It's an army of demons that have overtaken this man. This man's life is completely taken over. You know, we may not always uh, have the demonic influence, but definitely sin does the same thing in our lives. It will take over us. Our identity will become like that sin. Lucan's father who, who committed suicide, his identity was absorbed with taking medicine, taking pills, doing drugs, and then eventually ending his life. Sin does that to us. The more we go down, the more we involve ourselves in it, the more it holds us captive and takes over us. And so here, uh, he says, we are many, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Verse 13, so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, of the, uh, out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Greg Laurie said something really funny about this. He said, this is the first instance in the Bible of deviled ham. <laughs> I love that, deviled ham. Uh, so, but in all seriousness, I think there's a wonderful contrast here. And it's a wonderful evidence of, of this man and what the demons desire to do. I think, uh, you know, there's lots of questions on why did he allow them to go into the pigs. And I think a part of it is, is evidence to all the people watching that day that this man has actually been set free of the demons. That, that these demons actually went into the pigs. Now, of course, we're, we're most likely in the Gentile area because there's no Jews would be uh, herding pigs or uh, having pig farming. It just, that wouldn't happen. For the Jews. So we're in this area and these pig farmers are witnessing this happen. And Jesus says, okay, go into the pigs. And notice what, the, what happens. The pigs go crazy. The pigs run down the hillside. And the pigs drown themselves. They die. Meanwhile, we have a man here standing up in his right mind. Rescued, being given life. See, it was this, this meeting with Jesus that brought him from death into life. He was living among the dead. He was in these tombstones, completely separated from society. He was a dead man, a tormented man. And the end goal of these demons was that probably this man would eventually take his life or die in some way. Because that is always the goal of the accuser of Satan, is that you and I would be destroyed. That he would, he would cause us to destroy ourselves. But when we meet Jesus, we find life. And so we see this contrast where one man is given life and a whole herd of pigs goes into the ocean dead. It's amazing what God does for us. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. When we meet Jesus, when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, we become changed. It's amazing what God does to us. He gives us purpose. He gives us a new outlook in life. He puts us in a right mind, a right way of thinking. The delusions begin to leave, and we start to see sin for what it is. We start to desire God more and more, and we start to understand what it really means to have hope and peace and life abundantly. And so he gave the permission. They entered the pig. They rushed down. They drowned themselves. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country, and people came to see what, 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 
it was that had happened. And like I said, I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus sent the demons into the pig was all of a sudden he got herdsmen going and telling everybody what happened. You can't miss that. I mean, I bet you if this man just showed up and said, hey, I'm cured, nobody would believe him. They'd probably say, yeah, right, you're not cured, you're still demon possessed. Let's, let's bind him up, let's chain him. But no, these herdsmen saw what happened. They saw their loss of, of their, their, all their pigs and their herds. I'm sorry, let me fix this. He saw, they saw all that they had lost, and they run in to tell everybody what had happened. Verse 15, and they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. What were they afraid of? They were afraid of his power. Had, what kind of power does this guy have that he can, he can cast out all these demons out of this guy? I, I think that's part of it. It was a misunderstanding. They didn't understand who Jesus was. And verse 16, And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demons-possessed man and to the pigs. Verse 17, And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Verse 19, And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim to the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. You know, it's kind of sad when we see the power of God. Tonight we saw it in Lucan. And we've been seeing it every week. We've been seeing people set free just like this demon-possessed man. A real story about God, what God has really done in someone's life, how God has rescued, how God has delivered. We've seen, we see this every week, and how sad it is for us to say, oh, Jesus, go away. How terrible it is when we see the power of God, yet we go, please, Jesus, leave me alone. I really don't want what you want for me. How sad it is. And these people here begging Jesus to depart. You know, there's another thing. I'm sorry, my cable here is causing problems. Um, there's another thing about this too is those pigs were valuable. They were valuable. They were somebody's livelihood. But I think there's something important to be seen here. The man is worth more than the money. The man is worth more than the possession. The man is worth more than things. People have value. Things don't have the same value. Animals don't have the same value as people. And we need to make sure we understand this. People are created in the image of God. Now, that doesn't mean we go mistreat animals. That doesn't mean we go uh, mistreat other people's things. But the true value is on the person. That's who God sees the value in. And we want to make sure we keep that clear. That it doesn't become about the objects or the possessions or the money. And sometimes it's the money that keeps people from Jesus. Because it's, it's that desire to earn money. It's that desire for, well, if I, if, I, if I start following Jesus, I'm going to have to leave behind some of the things I do. Maybe my job is going to have to change. Or maybe I'm not going to be able to make money in the same way I was making money. Or, or things in my life will have to turn around and change. I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. You know what? I would encourage you strongly, do it. Because if the, the Lord calls you out, if the Lord tells you to go across the sea, you're not going to sink. 
you're going to start acting in faith. You're going to start exercising faith, knowing that, well, you know what? I can trust Jesus because he will deliver me. He will deliver me. He went away. This man uh, wanted to go with Jesus, but Jesus said, nope, go to your home. Jesus wasn't rejecting the guy. Jesus was sending out his first missionary. <laughs> it's awesome. Jesus said, okay, go to your home. Tell everybody what the Lord has done for you. And what does he do? He went and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And it resulted in everyone marveling. They all knew this guy. They knew who he was. They knew what, what he was, how he acted. They knew his problems. They knew that this guy was out of his mind. And there he is proclaiming, this is what Jesus has done for me. Listen, I want to encourage you, if you're here tonight, God wants to do the very same for you. Now, maybe you're not demon-possessed. Maybe you're not into drugs or alcohol. Maybe you're actually a pretty good person. Whatever the case is, we all need Jesus. Whether you're the worst of sinners, Jesus has got something to do with you. Or whether you're the best of sinners, <laughs> meaning you do, it <laughs> you do it better than others, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever way you are, however you are separated from God, tonight I want to give you that opportunity to know God, to be reconciled to Him, to become a child of God, and to be set free from sin and bondage. That's what Jesus is in the business of. What is it going to cost you? Well, He already paid it. That's the amazing part about it. God already did it. When I came to that realization, when I first finally understood that it wasn't about me being good enough, it was about him being good enough. When I came to the realization that it, was about, it wasn't about me doing all the steps, holding to the Ten Commandments, I realized, like, wait a minute, I can't do this, but you did it for me. You paid the price for me. I'm in. I remember falling on my knees, asking to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. You can do the same thing tonight. You can know Jesus Christ and be set free. And you know what will happen? Everyone's going to marvel. It's not always going to be positive. Some people will be like, okay, now you're a Jesus freak. Some people will be like, whoa, I remember how you were. I remember the language you used to use. I remember how you used to act. But now you're quoting scripture? This is weird. People will marvel because of what Jesus has done in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for your word and we thank you for the hope of salvation the prospect of being set free. Lord God, we thank you for this story of this man that you met in the tombs and how Mark has preserved this for us so that we can know that we can be set free too, Lord. Father, I pray for anyone in this room that is struggling with sin or struggling with demonic influence. Lord, those who feel trapped or bound up with chains, Lord, I pray that you'd set them free. If, if you want to be forgiven of your sin. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus, just, just pray this prayer. Lord, I'm ready to follow you. Save me. I'm ready to put my trust in you. Please forgive me of my sins. I thank you for what you did for me on that cross. Lord God, you are so good to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.